We'll go ahead and dismiss our children this morning to Kids Church. <clears throat> as far as I'm concerned, we can sing about the resurrection of Christ every Sunday. You know, it's the resurrection that, that differentiates Christianity from every other religion. Paul said it like this. He said, if Jesus Christ had not been risen from the dead, we are by all men most pitied. But because Christ has risen, we have this hope that is everlasting. And that's the reason that we gather on Sunday morning. Do you realize that, that the Jewish Sabbath was Saturday, and we gather on Sunday as a celebration. Every Sunday, we, we gather together on Sunday morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. That's why we gather on Sunday morning. It's not because Sunday is, 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 this, uh, is this special Sabbath day. No, in fact... Sunday is the first day of the week, and uh, as a true Sabbath, it would, uh, Saturday would be the, the seventh day, the day that God rested. And so Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection, and so we can sing and we can, we can glorify God in his resurrection because that's what differentiates Christianity. Apart from Easter Sunday, apart from the resurrection of Christ, no one cares about Christmas. You ever thought about that? If Jesus had not been risen from the dead, if Jesus had not been resurrected, then no one would give a, a, a flip that, that, that Jesus was born in a, in a manger and was visited by shepherd and by wise men. No one would care. But because he rose from the grave, we celebrate that he was born of a virgin, that he was visited by magi, that he was visited by shepherds, all because of the resurrection. The resurrection is the linchpin of Christianity. Well, that was all free. Uh, you can turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to continue to walk through uh, the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, I was meeting with uh, a pastor, a friend of mine this, this week, and uh, sharing with him, he asked, he said, well, what are you preaching through? And I said, I'm preaching through the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, he said, oh, you finished Matthew. I said, yeah, it only took us four years uh, but we got through Matthew, and I said, but I'm already on chapter 9 in 1 Samuel, and we, we, we just started in Easter, so we are moving at breakneck speed uh, through the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to be this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, first, sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 16. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 16. And, and I'm, I'm going to read through this fairly quickly, uh, because this is narrative, and, and the, 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 the story moves. Uh, so just stay with me uh, as I read 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through, 15, 1 through 16. Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bacorath, the son of Aphiah, the son of a Benjamite, a mighty man of valor. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome man, and there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. And from his shoulders up to he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to the son of Saul, Take now with you one of the servants and arise and go and search for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim, passed through the land of Shilashash, and they did not find them. So they passed through the land of Shalim, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of Benjaminites, and they were not there. In verse 5, And when they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servants who was with him, Come and let us return, lest my father cease to be concerned about the donkeys and become anxious for us. And he said to them, He said to him, Behold, now there is a man of God in the city. 
And the man is held in high honor. And he says, surely, you know, and all that he says surely comes true. Now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us about our journey on which we have set out. Then Saul said to his servant, but behold, if we go, what shall we bring? What shall we bring the man? For the bread is gone from our sack and there is no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul and said, behold, I have in my hand a fourth of a shekel of silver and I will give it to the man of God. And he will tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he used to say, come, let us go to the seer. For he who was called a prophet was now formerly called a seer. Now Saul said to his servant, well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. And they went up to the slope of the city and they found a young woman. And they found young women going out to draw water. And he said to them, is the seer here? And they said to him, yes, he is here. He is ahead of you. Hurry now, for he has come into the city today. And the people have a sacrifice on the high place today. And as soon as you enter into the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, for he must bless the sacrifice afterward. Those who are invited will eat. Now therefore go up, and you will find him at once. So they went up to the city. As they came into the city, behold, Samuel was coming out toward them to go up to the high place. Verse 15. Now a day before Saul's coming, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel, saying, About this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. You shall anoint him to be the prince over my people. He will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have regarded my people because their cry has come to me. Let's pray. God, we read this passage and we see your glory. We see your providence, Lord. May we be encouraged that you work through even the smallest circumstances in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I pray that on the other side of today's message that you will trust God even in the direst of circumstances, that, that throughout your life that, that there have been hardships, there have been difficulties, there have been uh, days whenever things look bleak. You may be in those days now where, where things look bleak, where, where you don't know where your salvation is going to come from. You don't know where the deliverance is going to come from. You don't know where the next mortgage payment is going to come from. You don't know where the next tuition payment is going to come from. Heck, you don't know how you're going to get gas for next week. Well, I pray that on the other side of today's message that you'll trust God even in the most dire of circumstances. If we look at the text, the text begins giving us a description of who Saul is. If we remember last week, Israel was begging for a king. Israel was begging for a king, and they were not only begging for a king, but they were begging for a king so that they could be like all the other nations. And we looked in, and when we said that their, their desire for a king was not their indictment. Their desire for the king was not their, their, their chief sin. Their, their, their chief sin was that they wanted to be like everybody else. They wanted to be like all of the idolatrous nations that were around them. They wanted to be just like everyone else, and God had called them to be holy. God had called them to be other. God had called them to be distinct. And yet, they wanted to be like everybody else. And so God gives them the desires of their heart. And if we look at Saul, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9, we see that as they begin to, as God begins to describe Saul, that he starts out with his pedigree. It's interesting. It's interesting in the Bible. Anybody that's anybody, we are told their genealogy. 
Whenever we meet someone in Scripture that, that is of great importance, we're always told who their dad is, who their grandfather is, who their great-grandfather is, who their great-great-grandfather is. Go back and look. Anytime we're introduced to anybody of any importance, we are told their genealogy. Everyone. And so immediately whenever we see this introduction of Saul, we ought to, that there ought to be a light bulb that goes off in our head that says, okay, I need to pay attention because God is introducing someone who has a great lineage, that this man is a Benjaminite of Benjaminites, that, that he has a pure lineage. And then we are told that he's tall and good-looking. That is a contradiction to every other Israelite we're ever described in the Old Testament. No other Israelite in the entire Old Testament has been described as tall and good-looking. It, it, that's, that's, that's just fact. Go back and look. Is there anywhere else in Scripture where, some, where, where an Israelite, where a Hebrew, has been described as tall and good-looking? No. Da- David is described as good-looking, ruddy and handsome, but not tall. What did Israel want? A king like every other nation. So what did God give them? A king like every other nation. We're going to see the contrast in just a few chapters of Saul, one who fits the bill, one who is tall, is handsome, is strong, is prepared, is, is by, every, by every evaluation of man fits the bill. We're going to see that contrast with David, a young shepherd boy who's not tall, not strong, not equipped, he's not prepared. We're going to see that contrast in just a few moments, but we're not there yet. So we're described, we, we get Saul's description. We get Saul's description. He's tall, he's good looking, he comes from a tremendous pedigree. And if Israel was going to select their king, Saul would fit the bill. But it's interesting, sometimes as God moves in our lives, we don't understand what's happening, when it's happening, and it's only after the circumstances, it's only after the events in our life that we begin to see how God had been orchestrating everything. So the text introduces Samuel, I'm sorry, introduces Saul, and then Saul goes on a wild donkey chase. That's exactly what happened. We're introduced to the future king of Israel, and he goes out to look for donkeys, unsuccessfully, mind you. He spends two days searching for donkeys in about a 20-mile radius. He goes all around, he goes all around the, the, the hometown Beersheba, and he cannot find these donkeys. Man, what a great king he's going to make. He can't even track down a, a, a handful of, of donkeys. The sovereignty of our God is such that even in the smallest aspects of our lives, God is at work. I want to point out to you what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 20. He says this in verse 24. He says, man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21, it reads like this. It says, many are the plans in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. 
The NIV reads like this. It says, many are the plans of a man's heart, but it is the Lord who ordains his steps. How many of you have planned something in your mind? Maybe, maybe you anticipated your life to go a certain way. You, you said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to school. I'm going to finish school. After I finish school, I'm going to get married. After I get married, I'm going to get a great job. I'm going to have wonderful kids. And, 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 and then 25 years later, it looks nothing like you had planned. For all, of you, for all of you college students, those of you who've just graduated college, many are the ways of a man's heart, but it's the Lord who ordains his steps. You know, Natalie and I, had a, we had a five-year plan. I was going to, I was going to finish seminary. After I finished seminary, we were going to have our first child, then a couple years later we were going to have another child. Well, about a year into that, that five-year plan, she comes to me and she says, I'm pregnant. So here we are, 13 years later, I am almost, I am, I am this close to my degree, I am this close to my degree, she never got her degree, uh, the, 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 we, we have three children, you know, by, by, by year five we had two children, no degrees, and, and we're, we're, we're on our way to the third child. You know, God has a, God has a way of, of changing our plans, even though we have it all worked out in our brains we have it all figured out i'm going to do this i'm going to do that i'm going to do this and you know sometimes god's god's ordination is a little bit different than what we had planned well the text introduces saul and then takes us on a random search for these lost donkeys this year my wife and i celebrated our 15 year anniversary and I got to marry uh, the love of my life. I got to marry the most beautiful woman uh, that I ever laid eyes on. And uh, on our wedding day, on our wedding day, we were both ecstatic to get married. Chris, why don't you put that, that, that picture up? Uh, this, is, this is us on our wedding day. We, we, we had just been married, and we were, we were ecstatic. And then shortly after that, my wife said, what in the world happened she 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 you know we were we were just just a few just a few moments after our wedding put up that other picture chris and 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 she said she said i married i married who i i i, I did what wait wait a second i'm only 20 years old I don't, i'm not sure that i'm ready for all this i'm not sure that i'm ready for all this but you know god began doing something in my life and in my wife's life long before we ever said I do. I was about 10 years old, and I was playing baseball with a neighborhood friend by the name of Michael Wagner. And Michael Wagner came into my life, and we were playing baseball, and we would, I'd go play at his house, he'd come play at my house, and that relationship lasted about three or four years, and, and you know, then he went to high school, and I went to high school, we went to different high schools, and I, I never really saw Michael very much anymore and then I'm living with a guy and his cousin his first cousin starts dating this guy named Michael Wagner and I'm like hey I know that guy I used to play baseball with him and so this 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 roommate of mine has you know his cousins dating this guy Michael and so we we our paths cross a few times we kind of hang out uh, now and then and then you know as most relationships do they you know his cousin uh, my, my, my friend's cousin breaks up with, 
uh, Michael, and you know we don't see him again. Well, lo and behold, my roommate and I are in this relation. Uh, we're we're uh, we're living together, and so we go to Win Dixie because uh, we're hungry, and so we're we're trying to find what what you know what can we buy for like four dollars that can feed us. And, and so we're, we're, we're in Winn-Dixie trying to find the buy one, get one free stuff, just trying to find something that we can buy that's cheap. And guess who we run into? Michael Wagner. Now, we haven't seen him in a while, and he says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm having a barbecue at my house this, you know, the, this Friday night. Y'all want to come over? And we're thinking, free food? Absolutely, we are there. And so, so we show up, we show up, and, and uh, to this day, I don't really know why we went, other than maybe there was free food. But, but we show up. We hadn't, I haven't seen this guy in, in several years. He hadn't seen this guy in several years. There's no connection. Well, we show up, and as we're sitting there, his girlfriend, Michael Wagner's girlfriend, has a friend that she had invited over. And that friend happened to be Natalie Nola, who would ultimately be my wife. Now, when I was 10 years old and I began playing baseball with Michael Wagner, I had no idea that my relationship with Michael Wagner would ultimately lead to me meeting my wife. But God began to ordain aspects in my life long before I ever knew what was going on. When Saul took his servant and began to hunt for lost donkeys, Saul had no idea that when he left on a search for donkeys, that he would come home a king. I'm betting, I'm betting in your life, if you stopped right now and you began to think about how God has has worked in your life, whose paths you've crossed, whose, whose relationships you have engaged in, the, the, the different life circumstances, and you began to think, and you began to ask yourself, was God orchestrating all things in my life to get me to the place where I'm at now? The answer is yes. Scripture tells us that God is a sovereign God, that there is nothing that is outside of His control, there's nothing that's outside of His ordination. The Scripture teaches us that not a drop of rain falls out of the sky and hits the ground without God's foreordination. There's not a leaf that falls off the tree that hits the ground without God orchestrating and ordaining it. That God is supreme and sovereign. God of the universe orchestrates all things. So today, church, you may be wandering around in a lost search for donkeys. And you have no idea how you're going to end up. God, what does this have to do with anything? God, I'm working a dead-end job. I, I, I have, there, there is no aim in my life. There is, there is no direction in my life. God, church, what I'm telling you this, this morning is that God has a purpose and God has a plan for you right where you're at, doing exactly what you're doing, why you're doing it, when you're doing it, how you're doing it. And so our responsibility is to bloom where we are planted, is to be obedient with what God has you doing, is to serve where God has you, is to be used by God here and now. We don't have to wait for, for there to be some grand epiphany. Sometimes we just need to go out and look for donkeys because God has told us to be obedient. God has told us to do what we're called to do when we're called to do it now.
Luke chapter 16, verse 10 says this. It says, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous in much. If we're not obedient with the small things that God has given us, how will we ever be obedient with the big things that God has given us to do? How do we raise our children? We raise our children the exact same way. What's the first things we teach them to do? We teach them to, to take a bath when, we're told to, when they're told to take a bath, to clean up their room, to clean the kitchen, to, to, to do things around the house. We're instilling in them responsibility. We're instilling in them, and, and we're instilling within them obedience. If they never learn how to clean their room, if they never learn how to cut the grass, if they never learn how to do the small things, then how can we ever expect them to be responsible adults? We can't. The same principle applies in our spiritual life. Why do we, why do we assume that, that, that God's going to call us to go on a mission trip if we won't be obedient when he's called us to go to church? When he's called us to be faithful. He says in Hebrews, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And many young people and, and, and many old people, we say, we say well, well, I want God to use me to, to do great and mighty things. And God says, I want you to do great and mighty things, but right now I just need you to go find some donkeys. Right now, I just need you to do the simple things in your life. Be faithful to pour into the people that God has put you in, that God, that God has, has put into your life. Be faithful as a mom to raise children who love the Lord and who honor the Lord. To do what God has called you to do. Be obedient where you are. In verse 15 and verse 16, it's interesting. Saul is completely unaware of verse 15 and 16. Look at verse 15 and 16. What's Saul doing? He's hunting donkeys, right? Not a very good donkey hunter. He's been searching all over for these donkeys. And these donkeys are real elusive creatures, you know. They're, they're, they're real stealth and real smart. Luke, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 15. Now the day before Saul's coming, the Lord revealed this to Samuel. He said, Samuel, there's going to be a guy about this time tomorrow that's going to show up. And this is the king. This is the one who's going to deliver Israel. This is the one who's going to be my chosen instrument to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now, does Saul know that this is going to happen? Is Saul clued into this? He's clueless. He has no idea. Oftentimes in, in our lives, we're the last ones to know God's purpose and God's plan. We all remember the story of Joseph. Very, very quickly, stay with me. Joseph has a dream. Joseph tells that dream to his brothers. His brothers get very angry. His brothers throw him in a pit. His brothers sell him into slavery. God's favor is upon Joseph. Joseph raises uh, Joseph is raised to, to authority and power over the Potiphar and Potiphar's household. And then Joseph is betrayed by Potiphar's wife. And Joseph is thrown into prison. Yet God's favor is upon Joseph. While Joseph is in prison, he is, he is, he is raised to authority and raised to power over all the prisoners, over all of the, the, the workings of the prison. And then Joseph is betrayed again by his cellmate. His cellmate gets out and forgets Joseph. And then one day, famine hits civilization. Famine hits all the world. 
And the king has a dream. And all of a sudden, light bulbs start going off. And they say, oh, oh, yeah, I remember when I was in prison, there was a guy who could interpret dreams. And Joseph was brought out of prison to interpret the dream of the king. And Joseph ascends to power over the most powerful nation and the only nation able to, to provide for the people of Israel in, in the midst of a famine. Now, put yourself in Joseph's situation. You're betrayed by your brothers. You're betrayed by your by, by, by Potiphar, by the man whom, whom had given you all of the authority. You're betrayed by your cellmate. You are, you are at every turn, everything that you had planned, everything that you had done is, is, just, is just falling apart. Your world, you are the, the epitome of, of bad luck. If anything and everything that, that, that could go wrong will go wrong, that's Joseph's life. And yet Joseph remains faithful. And God, the, Joseph remains faithful in hunting for donkeys. Everywhere he is sent, everywhere he is, what every circumstance he is placed in, Joseph remains, remains faithful. And God takes and uses Joseph as an instrument of salvation. And all of the nation of Israel, and all of Egypt, is saved because of the wisdom and the providence of God through Joseph. You said, but preacher, you don't understand. You don't understand how hard, you don't understand how, 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 how difficult things have been for me. You don't understand how, how, how everything in my life has just fallen. You don't understand how the whole world is against me. You're right, I don't. But the scripture tells me that God in his great providence and in his great mercy and in his great compassion, that he does. And that he has not forgotten you. And in fact, he is ordaining and he is orchestrating and working through all of those circumstances and all of those situations so that he can place you in the circumstance and the situation that he has you in for his glory. What I want to point out is that Israel's rejection of God does not paralyze God's providence. Remember last week, God told Samuel, they have not rejected you, Samuel, as the leader. They have rejected me. God said, I understand that them clamoring for a king like all the other nations is not a reflection on you. And Samuel, you need to come to grips with the reality that Israel is not rejecting you, they are rejecting me. But I want us to see in this passage in, in 1 Samuel chapter 9 that whenever Israel rejected God, whenever Israel ran from God, whenever Israel said, we don't want to be holy, we want to be just like all the other nations, that as Israel ran from God, rejected God, hated God, hated his providence, that Israel's rejection of God did not paralyze God's providence. God didn't say, oh, well, you want to be like all the other nations? Go, fine, be like all the other nations. See if I help you. Because the only thing that is more stubborn and bullheaded than Israel is God. He is more stubborn and bullheaded in his compassion and in his tenacious pursuit of his people than we will ever be in our rejection of him. Hear that in the text, church. 
we will see throughout the history of Israel, time and time and time again, Israel rejects God. Israel plays the harlot. Israel gives herself to foreign gods. Israel runs from God. Israel hates God. Israel does whatever they can possibly do to reject God. And what does God continually do? He continually pursues Israel over and over and over again. The only thing more stubborn and more bullheaded than Israel is God and His pursuit of Israel. Israel's stupidity cannot wither God's compassion. And I am so thankful that my stupidity and my foolish decisions and my sinful behavior does not quench God's compassion for me. The Scripture tells us that God does not deal with us according to our sin, but according to the greatness of His compassion. Look at Psalm 103. I want us to see the words of David, the psalmist. On the other side of great sin, on the other side of great rebellion, This is what David says of the character of our God. Verse 8, The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. Listen to verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sin, nor nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. Church, God loves you. And God cares for you. And God provides for you. Not because of who you are, but because of who He is. We don't have to garner God's favor. We don't have to earn God's God's grace and God's mercy. That's the very nature of grace. Is that it is undeserving. That it is unmerited. That God loves us and cares for us and has compassion upon us because of who He is. Because He is a God who is abounding in loving kindness. And judgment is His strange work. God loves us. God loves Israel. And passionately pursues them because of who He is. Israel's stupidity cannot wither the the compassion of of our Lord. And I want us to hear this. Why did God show up? If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 9, he tells us why. Look at verse 16. For I have regarded my people because their cry has come to me. Why does God show up? Why does God provide a deliverer? Because he heard the cry of his people. Church, God hears your cry. He hears your cry. You say, preacher, sometimes I lay in bed at night and I feel like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. That there's no way that God could hear my prayers, could hear my cry, see the circumstances that I'm in, and not intercede. And I'm telling you right now, He is interceding. You may not see it. You may be wandering from town to town looking for donkeys that you can't find. 
and you have no idea why he's sending you from place to place to place until one day you run into Samuel. And he says, you are going to be the king. And all of a sudden, the light bulb goes off. And you began seeing, this is why God had me in this city. This is why God had me at this job. This is why God had, had put this relationship in my life. Now I see. When, Joseph bro, when Joseph's brothers came walking into that palace, what does the scripture say Joseph did? He began to weep. Why? I believe Joseph began to weep because he remembered and he realized, that's why I was thrown in the pit. That's why I was sold into slavery. That's why I was betrayed by Potiphar's wife. That's why I was betrayed by my cellmate. That's why I was called to suffer so that God could use me to save my people. God is never indifferent to the cries of his people. Never. God always hears your prayers. Sometimes... He is silent. Sometimes he withholds from us because he knows that his plan is greater than ours. But God is never indifferent to his people. He's never indifferent to your cries. He's never, he's never, he's never apathetic. He is abounding in loving kindness. And Romans chapter 5 verse 8 tells us how God demonstrates his love. For God demonstrates His great love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The greatest demonstration of God's love, the greatest demonstration of God's compassion for you is not what He does in your life, but what He did through the person of Jesus. That He sent Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin that we may attain the righteous requirement of the law and be be able to have a relationship with a holy God. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this morning, you may have spent the last umpteen years of your life hunting donkeys, and you have no idea why God is working circumstance after circumstance after circumstance to bring you to this place, and yet for the very first time you realize God has brought me here to this place that I may know that I need Jesus. Because the scripture tells us there's a, way that, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. And God sent Jesus that we might have life and have it more eternal and have it more abundantly. If you've been hunting donkeys your whole life and you have no idea why God has brought you here, maybe he's brought you here today for salvation. That you may turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. Maybe you're frustrated in your life and you say, God, I don't understand why this is happening. Maybe you just need to be faithful where he has planted you. Maybe you need to be content going from city to city looking for donkeys until God brings you to Samuel, until he reveals his great plan for your life. Let's pray. God, we trust that you are providential. We trust that that right now it may look like we're just hunting donkeys. 
Lord, we trust that there's coming a day when you will reveal to us your great providence and your great plan. Until that time, Lord, may you find us faithful. May we be faithful in the small things. May we be faithful in the difficult things. There's some of you this morning